Today on the show, I'm happy to have Eric Olson. He's the president of Inspired Energy Solutions. They're redefining the community energy grid with solar. We were just talking about the need to actually value yourself while growing a business. You know, overcoming things like imposter syndrome and we were talking offline a little bit about overcommitting, really trying to prove yourself and validate your place at the table and giving away too much, but just maybe not being patient enough with the process and locking everything in before you solve the problems. Because once you reach a certain experience level, some things just jump out at you and you're not going to make that mistake again. And the more you've seen, the more often you can do that. And it just becomes this almost game of I'm not going to show my cards, which is a small business feels risky because self-awareness and your self-confidence might push you to be like, I got to let them know I know how to fix this already. Like you're jumping to the end result rather than going through that process. So a lot of my challenges have been just expecting the exchange to be fair and people to value what you bring to the table. But if they got the answer, they're off and running leaving you in the dust with doing the work but not getting compensated. So that's a huge challenge for me as a small business and a small construction company. And how have you adapted to that over time? The first adaptation is contracts, just having more things written down, a lot more letters of intent, a little bit more design time, and then just pacing yourself. I think if you slow it down a little bit, things fall into line and, and then you can see who's leaning in on your expertise versus just trying to get the whole thing solved and engineered. And I love to build things. So I'm trying to get to the shovel ready part as quickly as possible, but we got to respect the process. So a lot of it is just, you know, get everything written down as quickly as possible. And I know that sounds like common sense and shouldn't be said but when you or a handshake is as good as a deal kind of person, you're thinking that you have an agreement. People are going to honor their word. And when they don't, it's a bit of a shock because you're like, oh, well, I showed up, I did my part. And the next step would be after the contracts is work on your exit strategy. What does it look like when it doesn't work out? So everybody's already agreed on, okay, we're going to part ways. And what was that worth? What was that effort that everybody put into it? And that's a hard conversation, especially for me, but you're basically putting a value on failure. What would you say are some of the biggest issues and problems we need to solve right now in your sector? In solar? Yeah. There's a bunch. Quality work, I think, is number one. It's just there's a lot of operations and maintenance where you're going around and fixing other people's work. And it just wasn't installed right the first time because there's a bit of a race to the bottom right now in the industry where everybody's trying to just be the cheapest. And when you have a business model like that, where you're trying to get in and get out, you're going to cut corners. There's just no way around it or you're losing money. Really setting aside budget for that quality because what you're doing is you're just punting, right? You're taking what should be a known upfront cost and you're turning it into unknown maintenance cost. And when things are installed wrong, the equipment's the expensive part, right? So when the equipment starts failing, now you've got placement costs and rollout costs. So it's just you injected all this inefficiency in, into the process. So that being said, I think residential solar is good for the individual that can take advantage of it, but it's inherently super inefficient 
that the cost per watt is 300 to 400% more than a commercial install. So the levelized cost of energy isn't really competitive. So you've got these huge incentives to drive down the cost to the consumer, but the end result is not ideal. The solution for that is community solar. That's why we're focused on trying to build community solar, which is if I build a commercial scale or industrial scale power plant, that cost of energy to a thousand homes is a third or a quarter of what it would have been for all those individual homes to go solar using a residential process. So that needs to be made more streamlined, the community solar. And so the issue we're having with community solar is this data integrity. Where did the kilowatt hour come from and where did it go? And with AI and blockchain, I think it's a really robust solution. And I'm just in the embassy of this. I know the answer, but I haven't tried it out yet. I've got partners and working on a couple of projects, but just full disclosure, I haven't lived this one yet. If you're using blockchain and you basically have this ledger of where the energy was produced, it exists, you've named that kilowatt hour and you have an off taker that's going to benefit from that discount of energy. You've solved the problem, but now you are directly competing with the utility. Right. Cause you're, you're basically taking over the customer and they're transmitting and maintaining the grid, but you're doing everything else that becomes a political question to solve. And we'll see how it goes. Cause I live in Hawaii where there's a monopoly and they're very good at eliminating competition. Obviously <laughs> we want to work with them as much as possible. And there's an evolution happening. That's it's unstoppable at this point. I think there's so much momentum with divesting away from fossil fuels that they, they it's called a, the death spiral, right? So as people defect away from the grid and they, the, the cost of energy gets more and more expensive, more people can afford to go off grid or put in solar non-export systems that are grid tied, but basically zeroing out their bill. And that leaves the utility with a problem because their income's shrinking. So they raise the rates, which makes it easier for more people to defect so that cycle is happening now in Hawaii, even though they have more and more saturation of solar, their prices are still going up because they still have one leg in the coal and diesel and burning fossil fuels for let's call it 70% of the energy created. And that 30%, which is theoretically a lot cheaper, isn't really going to the bottom line for the consumer. At some point, the utility becomes the transmission and made its company, right? And so you just don't want to know, you don't want them to know you're the one that's like accelerating that. So that's a game we're playing right now is we're trying to do large scale projects that are community driven and help as many people as we can and focus on low income and middle income first, because they're the ones that weren't able to be early adopters. So they didn't get the benefits. So net metering, for instance, that program went away in Hawaii in 2014. And now you're left with even more expensive options to try to achieve the same goal. So yeah, I think there's a lot of pain points in solar from a business person. It's how do I maintain value from a consumer? It's how do I get a product that's going to last and perform as advertised. And then on some larger level, it's like, how do we do this in a way that's community focused where we're all co cooperating, collaborating to make the grid better. 
right? Because we live on an island and there's weather that we have to deal with. And usually it's, that's what's going to cause some sort of a disaster. So having that disaster resilience, renewables is great at that. As soon as the sun comes back out, you're back online. So it was saying it didn't blow away, but so just going in with a co coherent, cohesive plan for when you've got some bad days to stabilize the grid, that's, that, that should be on everybody's mind as well. And that's where the government really needs to be more proactive with disaster preparedness and how renewables play a part in that. So if these community solar projects are focused on low income, middle income communities, where's the funding coming from? You still have third parties that can call owner operators, right? So you've got investment people that come in, they want to own the asset. They want to take the tax incentives and then they basically turn around and sell that back as a, as an energy rate that's considerably lower than the retail rate. Yeah. The, the money's definitely out. There's lots of people super interested in building these large scale systems because the cost of entry per watt is much less, right? Than trying to finance a bunch of residential systems that are like a virtual power plant where you have 10,000 homes that are all cooperating through some sort of computer mesh network. Everybody's got the same equipment and it all responds to grid requests, whatever, stop exporting or charge your cars or heat water, whatever it is, there's your grid service inherent in that. You can do the same thing with the community solar. You can put in all the grid response and then do a profit share on the back end. And again, the cost of construction is a third. So it just love the, the levelized cost of energy is just so much more competitive. So do you see a lot of outside investment coming into Hawaii to go into these types of projects? Yeah, that's always the, the environment we're in is you've got, we call it the mainland, right? So you've got outside investors that have the money that are attached to usually banks and huge portfolios, more and more private money is starting to come in. There's a lot of really accomplished local investors too, that saw the opportunities early 10, 15 years ago, and they got really good at spotting opportunities that were multifamily dwellings or condo associations, and building out solar for them back when it made a lot of sense. It was expensive, but it made a lot of sense. Cause you have the net metering. So if you exported, you're getting full retail for that utility stored energy. Yeah. So I think, and everybody wants an excuse to be able to, to have a branch office in Hawaii. So <laughs> you get a lot of people that are motivated to do anything. Just one project is enough excuse, but yeah, it's mostly outside money, I would say. So Eric, going through the hardships of owning your own business and being an entrepreneur, what would be your advice to somebody who's thinking about starting their own business? I think it starts with people. I think you've got to build out your strategic partnerships early and hammer out roles and responsibilities and just be able to pass the ball around because it's pretty easy to get overwhelmed with all of the different aspects of the business, having that network of trusted strategic partners, or they can be employees too, but there's just so many aspects to it. I think you have to have two, probably three other companies that are involved because we've got engineering and procurement, construction, sales. So there's these different elements to it. And this, those all could be companies, right? And so people you trust, they've got your back. They're very competent at what they do 
and then work on your systems. How's it flow? And then what does that look like from the user, the consumer's point of view? Like what is the user experience? That's where I would start is just get a really solid core of people that all have the same vision. Start there. So Eric, if our listeners wanted to get in touch with you or your company, how could they do? We're online, inspiredenergy.solutions. That's usually the best way to start. There's emails, info at inspiredenergy.solutions goes to my team and we try to get back as quickly as possible and solve your problem. Well, thank you, Eric, for coming on the show. And thank you everybody for listening to another episode of Failing to Success. I'm your host, Chad Kalecki with Cosmic Web Design and Development. Make sure to press the like button and we'll see you next time. Thank you.